Welcome to the next edition of Fixed Interest, where we're going to be discussing Argentina and Ecuador. My name is Shalei Shetty, and I'm a managing director in the America's Sovereign Team. I'm happy to be joined by Todd Martinez, senior director and primary analyst for both Argentina and Ecuador. Both Argentina and Ecuador restructured their debt after the pandemic shock. Argentina completed its debt restructuring in September 2020 and re-upgraded the rating to C from restricted default. And Ecuador signed off its restructuring deal in August 2020 and we subsequently upgraded its rating to B- from restricted default. Now, roughly nine months after the debt restructurings, both countries are benefiting from higher global growth in commodity prices, yet both face their own set of economic, fiscal and external challenges. On the political side in Ecuador, Guillermo Lasso was sworn in as new president in May, while Argentina will be heading for midterm congressional elections in November. So turning to you, Todd, certainly an interesting time to catch up again on Argentina and Ecuador. First, can you briefly explain why the difference in the post-debt restructuring exit ratings of Argentina and Ecuador? Thanks, Shelley. Yeah, Argentina and Ecuador make for a great comparison right now, since they were the first two sovereigns we rate to restructure their bonds during the pandemic, and they kicked off what we expect is a new wave of global restructurings. So why did Ecuador get a higher exit rating of B- compared to Argentina's C? Well, first of all, what do they have in common? One big thing, they got a lot of near-term relief in commercial debt service for the next five years. And repayment capacity reflects a lot of things, but obviously it's going to be better if there's very little to pay for a while. Now, what makes them different? First of all, Ecuador did its debt restructuring alongside a new IMF deal and Argentina didn't. So Ecuador has a financing source and a policy anchor that Argentina doesn't. Now, sure, Ecuador faces a lot of risk in implementing that plan, but at least it made some progress last year with reforms and adjustments, whereas Argentina took measures that really add to its its economic challenges. Another big difference is that both Argentina and Ecuador have near-term debt coming due from local T-bills, but Argentina has a track record of restructuring these, even its local currency instruments, whereas Ecuador never defaulted on its its setes despite a devastating liquidity shock in the past year. And then third, Argentina faces a lot of uncertainty in how it's going to pay official creditors. It still hasn't dealt with huge upcoming payments to the IMF, and it's punted its debt with the Paris Club by a year, but that's not far away, whereas Ecuador has always remained current on these obligations. So Official sector restructurings aren't default events uh, for our ratings, but clearly they're indicative of, of weak repayment capacity. So that explains the differences between the outcomes, but obviously worth highlighting that both ratings are very low. So we see big challenges to creditworthiness in both Ecuador and Argentina. Let's start with Ecuador and the new administration. Uh, what are your expectations around the country's IMF program? And where do you see challenges that perhaps uh, lead to a revision in the program targets? So we think the last administration has big challenges ahead of it. We can get into that in a bit. But the IMF deal in particular, that shouldn't be too hard to renegotiate. There could be some sticking points, but they don't look like they'll be insurmountable. First of all, because um, a lot of the program benchmarks were already achieved. Ecuador reformed its budget code. It's improving its fiscal statistics. That was really a fatal flaw in the prior IMF program. It reformed its monetary code, and that's going to help bolster dollarization. Uh, What's left is fiscal adjustment. And Lasso has made it clear that he wants a different strategy, less reliant on tax increases. The IMF should be open to that because they need to see local ownership of the adjustment programs. And they're looking at Colombia, where there was a big backlash to proposed tax hikes. 
But the question is, how's the government planning to make up for lower tax increases? Uh, if it's spending cuts, that could be difficult because there, um, th- those could also generate a, a social backlash. We saw what happened in 2019 to lower uh, to plans to lower subsidies. And the IMF may be reluctant to allow the authorities to rely too much on expectations of higher growth and revenues. Uh, but on the other hand, oil prices have rallied. And that's a good piece of news that could allow for Ecuador to endure somewhat less belt tightening. So if all of that's not enough to compensate for smaller tax increases, it could mean a slower consolidation path. And there could be room for that, given how ambitious the current targets are. But of course, the question will be who finances that? Is it the multilaterals or the market? On Argentina, Todd, how do you see the outlook for inflation and the need for FX adjustment after the elections? The IMF program, as you know, is off track now. Uh, where do you think the challenges lie in the negotiation process? And what is the expected timing of a new agreement? Yeah, so Argentina's talks with the IMF are looking a lot harder than Ecuador's. It's been putting this off for two whole years and probably won't get around to it until 2022 after this year's elections. Now, Argentina and the IMF have a big mutual interest in getting to a deal, but they have big policy differences. That means that even if a deal is reached, there's some risk that it just won't be a great one, um, you know, a good one that could offer positive shock to expectations and help Argentina overcome its financial woes. Fiscal adjustments obviously going to be a sticking point, but may not be the hardest point. Um, Argentina's already had a swift uh, fiscal improvement this year. That's thanks to high soy prices and high inflation that have dramatically eroded salaries and pensions. So given that, it's probably hard to get much more savings out of that strategy. Um, There are other options, but it remains to be seen what this government has appetite for. Structural reform seems harder. This is a government that's taken measures that add to its issues. It's raised taxes, imposed capital controls, tightened labor regulations. So hard to see what the IMF can realistically ask for. And then monetary policy also looks hard. The IMF probably doesn't look favorably on Argentina's current mix of negative interest rates in real terms, strict capital controls, a tightly managed official exchange rate. On the other hand, though, a much more free market approach under the last IMF program ended in tears in 2019. So also unclear what the IMF can realistically ask for. And then you asked about a devaluation. Um, On one hand, the peso doesn't look wildly overvalued. So it doesn't seem to be something the economy desperately needs. But on the other hand, there's a huge confidence problem and a demand for dollars, and that's not likely to go away. So a lot of analysts argue that Argentina does need a, an undervalued peso and therefore a devaluation to, to build reserves. Now, as you know, Todd, both Argentina and Ecuador confront political constraints on adjustments. So let's start first with Ecuador and the new Lasso administration. Uh, what is President Lasso's economic platform and how far can he go with it, given his minority position in Congress? So we do see Alasso's election victory as good news for the B-minus rating, but more in the sense of staving off downside pressure rather than offering immediate upside. For that, Lasso has hard work to do. He needs to figure out a new economic model to get the country to grow again. He needs to get its fiscal house in order. And he needs to improve the central bank balance sheet to protect dollarization and the resilience of the economy. And the good news is that his agenda is focused on those things, but it's not going to be easy. To state the obvious, he won on a mandate for change, but not necessarily for unpopular reforms and adjustments. So he's promised tax reform, social security reform, and labor reform, but we haven't gotten much detail on those, and the devil is in the detail, and they could be controversial. Also, he, his ability to advance his agenda could, could be difficult without strong support in Congress. 
His Creo party did form this surprise alliance with Pachacutic and Izquierda Democrática that'll give it stronger representation. But congressional alliances in Ecuador have a track record of being pretty tenuous, and those are parties that aren't ideologically aligned with Creo. So it could mean that the end result of the legislative process could look quite a bit different from, from the agenda right now. Um, Argentina's Mauricio Macri looms large as a precedent right now in Ecuador because there was a president that was unable to really deliver fast adjustments and reforms and instead relied a lot on confidence um, to, get, to get the country on its feet. But that proved fleeting. And now in Argentina, do you see scope for any policy adjustment before the midterm November congressional elections? And what can we expect after their conclusion? Argentina is clearly one of the places in the world where elections have the most bearing over policies and economic outcomes. So much so that there's something called the curse of the even-numbered years, where expansionary policies boost growth in election years and then adjustments in following years lead to contractions. And 2021 is proving to be no exception ahead of midterms in November. The government's doing everything it can to avoid a devaluation of the peso. It's kept utility rate increases very small, which means higher subsidy costs. And that's been a victory for the more heterodox wing of the government under Vice President Christina Kirchner and a defeat for President Alberto Fernandez and his moderate um, finance minister, Martin Guzman. Fiscal policy was tight so far this year, but plenty of plans to loosen the purse strings are emerging. So this could all be viable in the near term, um, thanks to high soy prices, which allowed the central bank to accumulate firepower, and an SDR issuance by the IMF will add to that. But avoiding adjustments this year just means bigger imbalances and adjustment costs next year. And this is where the elections could matter. Uh, they're unlikely to dramatically reshape Congress, but they could empower the different moderate versus leftist factions within the government and therefore determine how smoothly adjustments can be carried out and how much appetite there is for them. And of course, even when these elections are over, uh, 2023 elections will be right around the corner. So even if there is any po positive policy momentum after these elections, it'll be hard to know how long that can be sustained. Finally, before we end, uh, what can lead us to upgrade Argentina into the B category? Uh, do you see this feasible in the next 12 months? Also on Ecuador, do you see room for upward rating mobility in the B category? And what signposts will you be monitoring for that to happen? So for Argentina to break into the B category, not only do we want to see better policy visibility, and that probably means a deal with the IMF, but it needs to be a plan we have confidence in, one that allows the country to build reserves, lower its deficit and debt, and be on track to be able to repay its commercial debt that's been pushed down the road. And for Ecuador, uh, rising higher within the B category is going to take more than just the victory of, of Lasso. It's going to take real progress on his agenda. That means not just promising fiscal consolidation, but delivering it. That's important so Ecuador can overcome this perennial financing uncertainty where we don't know how it's going to meet its funding needs every year, and it'll enable it to stabilize and lower its debt-to-GDP ratio. Structural reforms that support stronger growth will be important for Ecuador also, and so will improving its sovereign net foreign asset position. That's external sovereign assets minus external debt. That's an especially important variable for commodity exporters because it signals the strength of their buffers to face um, the unique risks that they're prone to. And then for both sovereigns, uh, getting much better ratings is going to require institutional improvement. And that, you know, could obviously take a while. One thing we've found is that most sovereign ratings coming out of restructurings tend to be stuck at very low levels. And the exceptions to that rule are ones that have strong institutions like Uruguay. 
So for to think of a much higher rating for Argentina and and um, and Ecuador, not only are we going to need to see a positive policy direction, but we're going to need to have greater confidence that that can be sustained over very uncertain election cycles in both. Thanks a lot, Todd, for your insights. Thank you for listening. And for more on Argentina and Ecuador, you can access our research on our website, FitchRatings.com. Hope you will join us in the next edition of Fixed Interest. Thank you.